The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by two fine co-hosts. Nate Heininger and Shane Kelly. And this is our uh, first episode of our coverage of IF Comp 2021. Woo! Uh, it, it's, it feels bizarre that IF Comp has rolled around yet again, uh, as we've been remarking since well over a year and a half ago time has lost all meaning but it is back if comp season is here uh you can probably see pumpkins on the on the doorsteps of your neighbors uh in case that's the way you keep track of time as it is for me (laughs) um and so not a very effective timekeeping strategy except for once a year it works really well for you The, uh, the slow decay of the pumpkins also helps for okay. a little while, and then I'm completely lost to time again. Yeah. So, I have Comp 2021, uh, an, an interesting-looking year for the comp. Uh, the first thing that, that I noticed, last year, if you remember, the comp was absolutely massive, and this is a little bit of a, uh, a, little bit of a more focused uh, lineup this year. Last year had <laughs> over a hundred entries, something like a hundred and three, maybe if I'm remembering correctly. And it was, let me tell you, unmanageable. <laughs> this yeah. year we have uh, seventy two or three seventy one something seventy something entries. Well, you know, not that we're uh, entirely out of it, but um, I don't know that something happened in 2020 that put a lot of people in their homes for an extended amount of time. So I think uh, <laughs> maybe our creators uh, had a little bit more time for creating. Very, very true. Uh, so perhaps perhaps some of those folks uh, who had a little extra time have gotten back to work. Uh, I personally think, though, it's a very exciting uh, slate of games. Looking down the list, a lot of old and returning names, uh, some exciting-looking uh, games from authors that i'm not familiar with uh i'm i'm really excited to dig into it our coverage is going to be a little bit different this year last year we ended up really going all out we did four episodes on the comp before the close of the comp and then a further fifth episode after the end of the comp that was a kind of a wrap-up to make sure we hit some of the things that that won or you know placed highly that we didn't uh hit at the end um this year we're probably going to back a little bit off of that partly because there's a smaller slate of games and also just for scheduling reasons we're planning to do two or potentially three episodes during the comp uh, covering the games and then a final wrap up episode afterwards um, or potentially uh, two and two and just do more episodes uh, following the comp. We'll see how the timing works out, Uh, but it's going to be a little bit of a different format from us this year, Uh, (laughs) but mostly the same sort of thing. Uh, If you're just joining us and this is a By the way, something that I keep hearing from some of our listeners that they discovered IF Comp through us, which always makes me feel a little bit warm and fuzzy. But if you are new to IF Comp, a little bit of little bit of history. IF Comp is one of the oldest game creation contests that's been running on the Internet that exists. Uh, IF Comp is a game is a a contest, a kind of a uh, it's not quite what you'd call a game jam since there's no real time limits on creation, but it is a contest for new interactive fiction works, games that have been created and debut specifically for this competition. Um, 
This year, there are 70 some odd games for your uh, entertainment and all new interactive fiction works. If you're new to interactive fiction, that means that these are all games based primarily on reading text. Uh, You might have games with all sorts of different interaction models, everything from the point and click Uh, choice-based models that you might be familiar with uh, being sometimes called things like choose-your-own-adventure or uh, visual novel-style storytelling, uh, all the way up to uh, parser-based interactive fiction with uh, full natural language understanding, typing commands, and receiving text back, uh, and lots of sometimes oddball interesting experiments in interactive text, things that are anywhere from hypertext poems to full text-based RPGs and anything in between. Uh, And IF Comp is a big tent about what counts as interactive fiction and what they'll allow into the competition. There's some really unusual entries this year that we Mm. might get to talk about. I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. What we tend to do, oh, and about judging, uh, anyone can be a judge in IF Comp. You just go to ifcomp.org. Uh, and uh, you can see the ballot there, uh, which is basically just the list of all of the games. You'll see every game listed there uh, with a link to play it. Usually you can just click to play it in a browser. Uh, Some of the games are also, or most of the games are also downloadable, so you can play them on a computer if you want. Um, Many of these games will play fine on a mobile device if that's what you have. They've made some nice improvements this year to the site where you can, uh, in addition to the various different filtering, you can now uh, filter the... Uh, games list by estimated playtime length which we we love this is magnificent (laughs) thank you thank you if comp for providing us did you do this for us i think they did i suspect they did i really do it's great and um uh, you can also sort by uh style whether you you know if you want to specifically look for parser games for Mm -hmm. example or even by platform uh which gets into the technical side of things but if you know that you are really into games programmed in inform for example then you can filter for that um so uh i i love doing this every year we've been doing it for something like five years now before we get out of the topic of kind of the history of the competition the the thing that i want to tell people that may be new coming to this is that this has been over the course of about the last what is it five years that we've been covering the competition um that five years and maybe (laughs) a few years before that has been a period of um kind of an explosion of tools driven innovation in interactive fiction and i i don't necessarily mean that the the creativity is all in the tools it's that all of these different tools are coming out that and have arrived on the scene that um give people just a much bigger and broader paint palette to work with uh you know d- d- no matter what kind of if you're trying to create there's probably a set of tools out there for for you um kind of there's uh the more traditional parser stuff with inform there's twine there's uh i guess the most recent and now i'm seeing a lot of in the competition is the newcomer ink uh, which I think is maybe only about three, four, five years old, something like that. So it's it's just continuing to be a place where um, like really creative technical people and really creative literary people come together and make incredible things together, which super cool. 
Yeah. And the interactive fiction scene is much bigger than IF Comp, but this is, at least for me, the most exciting sort of date on the interactive fiction scene calendar. And it's the time of year when I enter, engage most deeply with interactive fiction. Um, uh, I also wanted to mention I did double check, and our fir- I, I always forget this. Our first year covering IF Comp in our format that we kind of do now uh, was the 2015 Comp, so six years now wow and um uh, it's become a huge part of you know one of the it was a, a huge date on the short game calendar and my personal yeah. uh counting of the year and and we've done it long enough now i one of my favorite things about i have comp is kind of seeing where these writers and developers and artists go in their careers uh a game we covered at some point in the last two years knights of san francisco a game that we all loved came or started as an IF comp game and then, you know, expanded from there and then became its own fully fledged game on, on, you know, in the app store. And, and I, I think you see that more and more. And more than that, we also see like just general in general, you see like ideas that uh, percolate up in interactive fiction become uh, part of, yeah, you know, I always sort of say that if you're following interactive fiction, you're seeing like narrative design from five years in the future for the rest of the industry. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I love following this stuff. You make me want to look back five years, uh, five years ago, what one IF comp was detective land. And then the year before that brain guzzlers from beyond. So um, <laughs> is that where we are narratively in the yes. industry? Today? Yes. <laughs> well, yes. we are deep in the Brain Guzzlers universe right Those now. Those are both great yeah. games, by the way. Brain Guzzlers are all their age right now. Uh, so let's see. Um, I didn't talk about voting. Um, you, listener, are a judge in IF Comp, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, and uh, the voting takes place over the entire period of the comp, which starts started October 1st and continues through November 15th. Uh, as, you're, as you play games, uh, you can go on the website Right there where you choose the games, there will be an option to uh, to mark your your scores, your your ballot. And um, you can sort of vote on your, uh, you know, your thoughts about the games. And in, if you want, you can even include feedback for the authors, but that's optional. Uh, and uh, in order for your votes to be counted, all you have to do is vote on at least five games. Is that still right? Did I get that number right? Five games? I always forget. I believe so, yes. Um, you have to vote on at least five games. Uh, your scoring system is up to you. Uh, you're going to be rating things, I think, in a one to 10 scale, but you know exactly how you go about that is sort of up to you. Some people have very uh, deeply held beliefs about what a seven versus a 10 means, and other people kind of just go with their gut. Well, I'll just throw out there, you have to rate those five entries by 11.59 p.m. Eastern time on November 15th in order yes. to have your vote count. Don't forget to submit your votes. That has happened to me. I am embarrassed to say I thought I wow. would put these, all of these votes in uh, and uh, and then did not. So uh, don't do that. You can put in your votes as you're playing if you want. Just make your account on the site and you can vote as you go. And that's a great way to make sure that your votes get in there. Um, so without further ado, should we go ahead and jump into talking about the games that we've played Uh we're just going to talk about a handful of games. Uh, I, I, I always also always set up that you know the way that we choose things for the show is a combination of getting recommendations from other people playing the games, just sort of reading through the list and picking things that either sound interesting or come from authors that we may have heard of or just have good art or just something that jumps out at us. No particular order. Listener recommendations. 
Yes, very important one. If you are participating in IF Comp, and I, I pray that you are, um, we are always looking for recommendations. So, you know, tweet at us, hop in the Discord, mm-hmm. let us know what you're playing. Um, we'd love to dive in and play those we may not cover it on the show but we'll probably play it at, at the very least so let us know yeah and we always do play more than we cover but um you know we when we what we bring to the show is uh is uh selected uh you know it, via a bunch of different methods uh and that does mean that what we talk about on the show we're not putting these games that we have selected to talk about today forward as these are the best games of if comp these are just things that we played and we wanted to talk about briefly um we're going to be covering more games as we go like nate said this is the best time of the year ever to give us recommendations if you're playing along on if comp and you see something that you think uh, is uh, good or interesting or even interestingly not good uh, we want to hear your thoughts about what you're playing there's always at least a troll game or two so <laughs> let us know if you find that so we can either target it or avoid it yeah so we want to know what you what you think about what you're playing um, really helps us in terms of planning the rest of our coverage but also uh, we just like to hear what people think about these games um, so uh, without any further ado let's dive right in <laughs> uh, the first game I played for the comp was Grandma Beth Linda's Remarkable Egg by Arthur DiBianca great name right out of the gate. first of all great name ra- absolutely in fact I, I want to say that like Arthur DiBianca Arthur DiBianca is a well-known name in IF Comp and in the interactive fiction scene in general. He has written a ton of games. He has been creating games for IF Comp and not for IF Comp. Uh, just you know, great interactive fiction generally for years. Um, I've always had a bit of an issue with his games because I'm always 100% drawn to them. The presentation is good. Um, and uh, there's this this sort of humor to them that I find very engaging. Um, but I also have a really hard time with his games. Um, they are typically really puzzle forward uh, in a way that often ends up uh, I often end up sort of bouncing off of, but I keep I keep coming back like a moth to the flame. I always play the Arthur Tibianca game of the of the comp, um, and I very rarely finish it because I am really bad at puzzles, and his puzzles are often really good, really complex puzzles. Um, Grandma Bethlinda's Remarkable Egg is a pseudo sequel to a game that I played several years ago called Grandma Bethlinda's Variety Box. And I think of all of the Arthur DeBianca games I've played over the year, that might have been my favorite. Um, and it might have been the one I got farthest with. I do remember, I think, resorting to a walkthrough in order to complete that one. I don't think I, I don't remember whether I. I'm pretty sure I did complete it, but I think I used, had to use a walkthrough. It's been a, a few years now. Um, but Grandma Beth Linda's Remarkable Egg. First of all, uh, the the text on the comp page, the, the summary, most folks go with a whole paragraph, right? Setting the scene or telling you a little bit about the world of their game. Uh, but Arthur DiBianca is far too smart for that. His text simply says, how do you break out of handcuffs when all you've got is an egg? It's a, compel- of it's a compelling setup. It's a very compelling a setup. Very, very compelling setup. And so I, I, I looked at this. I was like, mm, 
I know, I I know this is going to be another Arthur DiBianca joint with like a like a uber complex multi part abstract puzzle full of uh full of humor, but also just absolute maddening frustration. And I'm still going to do it to myself, right? I'm still jumping in, and I did, and I'm so glad I did because first of all, this is a this is a different sort of game for him, but it's also very much the same. It is it is the first. Uh, Arthur DiBianca game that I completed without really any difficulty whatsoever, Yay. which is really something to say. Uh, made me feel really smart, so thank you, Mr. DiBianca, so much. Um, but I was really worried. Uh, I did the thing that I often do when I'm getting into one of his games or one of the ones that I'm expecting to be quite complex puzzle-wise, where I clicked on the walkthrough, and his walkthrough uh, just said... <laughs> Well, I mean, the, the walkthrough is like a couple of lines of text and more or less what it says is, uh, did you know, uh, g- general tips. Did you try really looking at the egg? <laughs> um, and uh, if you really are really stuck, just email the author. Well, I didn't actually have to email him, I'm glad to say. Um, the I'm Grandma shocked. Bethlinda's Remarkable Egg uh, is very similar to um, Grandma Bethlinda's Variety Box, it is a game about a single object. Um, you are standing in a kitchen, and uh, it's, it gives you these wonderfully contrived reason that you can't touch the egg, which is that, of course, you're wearing handcuffs. Um, and uh, you know somehow that this egg has the functionality to unlock your handcuffs, uh, but it is currently broken. Uh, the egg is not just a regular egg. It's, you know, it's a remarkable egg. Um, and, uh, I don't have the text of it in front of me, but it's basically a, uh, you can imagine a sort of like uber complex puzzle box robot egg full of widgets and toys. And it only responds to vocal commands and only single word vocal commands. So you can speak to the egg in single word sentences. It is a parser game, but it's not really parsing any long sentences like you might type into a, uh, you're not typing in things like, you know, request that the uh, egg unlock my handcuffs, please. Uh, You're typing in just single words and the egg uh, will let you know what words it has available to it. Uh, And because the egg is broken, uh, most of the game is involved in trying to fix the egg or get the egg to fix itself via its built-in diagnostic and repair functions. Um, And most of that involves just messing around with the egg in various silly ways until it fixes itself. I I suspect, because of how the ease with which I kind of made it through this game, I suspect that if you literally just stood there and said, wait, that'd be like 80% of like what this game really requires of you. It, it, you know, the egg has some timers that it does to like fix itself. It emits various noises and so on, but it does have some clever little puzzles that you have to do as you go. I won't be spoiling any of the solutions or anything because of course these games, uh, what is, what is the the weirdest, uh, verb that you can shout at the end? Uh, so, um, so, you know, you, it will occasionally, uh, 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 you know, read out that you know it's it's repaired itself up to thirty five percent, and it's restored three new commands. And there'll be things like drone, and you type you know say drone, and a little drone emerges from the egg, um, and uh, or uh, or race car, and a small race car emerges from the egg, drives around the table, realizes that it can't get down, and drives back into the egg. Reagan, um, uh, Shane asked for the strangest ones, not normal egg behavior. 
normal egg bait. Okay, uh, there's bone where it tosses a bone or steam where it emits steam and fills the kitchen with steam, that sort of thing. All normal egg behavior. Um, lots of that kind of thing, just strange stuff. Uh, and from the very beginning, I, I believe, or very near the beginning, you know that the egg should have the functionality lockpick, which is what you're trying to get it to do. But uh, that's that's the uh, that's the one thing that's that's the most important thing that seems to be broken. Um, I think the the challenge here, the the puzzle challenge, comes from the fact that this is a game with a lot of optional objectives, uh, some of which are enumerated in the menus. You can like, get a list of like uh, kind of achievements that you can get that have kind of funny sounding names, and you have to figure out using things like, well, you know, can I can I have some interaction between the dog and the race car or something like that that'll cause it to do something. Um, and those things are not required for unlocking your handcuffs. You know, they're not part of progressing the game, uh, but they're just funny things that can happen with the various functions of the egg. And um, discovering some of those along the way was really fun. I didn't kind of go for 100% completion on those. Um, but I think if you were really interested in sort of his uh, more... Uh, you know, the, for the for the big Arthur de Bianca puzzle fans, uh, there's some of that here with some of those optional objectives. Even though this is, I think, a, a significantly easier from a puzzles perspective uh, game than than some of his others. But um, I, I don't know. There's not much else to say about this one. The egg is truly remarkable. I quite like this one a lot. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly how it'll land with his uh, his uh, dedicated fan base of of you know, puzzle masters. Uh, but for me, I had a lot of fun with this one and it was, it was really fun for me to finally, finally, uh, uh, play an Arthur DiBianca game that didn't leave me, uh, scratching my head and checking a walkthrough. So, You've climbed the mountain. I felt real smart, <laughs> even though it was clearly not that hard, but it was really fun. Uh, Nate, so, I think we found the troll game. <laughs> well, well it, just to troll me. Yep. Just to troll Reagan specifically. <laughs> I love puzzle games. One of the things that's weird to me is so I got into IF because I really enjoyed your classic IF puzzle games, but mm-hmm. these days when I come to IF Comp, I'm rarely playing the longer, more puzzle-rich experiences because I try to pack in a lot of games and I'm very short on time. The stuff you tend to get if you are shooting for that really short um Playtime is the stuff that is um, often works by new authors. It's not particularly puzzly. It's usually more um, a narrative. So um, I am I'm glad we're representing the true heart of IF puzzliness here in this egg of a podcast. And hey, listeners, if you play any really good puzzle stuff this year, you know, maybe this is my year to not be the yeah, puzzle dunce. Let me know what's that, good. I would love to I would love to see them do um to keep going with this uh filter because identifying the games that I really want to play is kind of tough sometimes. Uh so for one thing, I tried hitting filter by like the shortest duration, which is 15 minutes. And I would get into this when I talk about the games I played. I'm sorry, I'm cutting Nate off in our order here. But uh I I said 15 minutes and then I said um parser and the list is zero so i would love for there to be something in that in that particular niche and uh i I would like to also be able to filter by how puzzly it is i'd like to really have some keywords and and breakdowns of some of the big categories that they do 
Yeah, all of this stuff, like the um, the times and whatnot, are estimates from the authors. Um, I suppose if they came up with some uh, sort of agreed upon terminology, authors could opt their game into like how puzzly is it and how uh, you know uh, other 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 topics. But the sort of information that the, the comp page does present is pretty comprehensive. You know, it really does tell you a lot about the games if you're trying to decide what to play. And I believe a lot of the uh, you know th- there's sort of standard. Uh, categories that things are presented under things like two hours or 15 minutes or whatever choice based or parser based etc but there's also some freedom that the authors get in how they kind of mark those that little slug line for their game things like you know fable science fiction mystery uh drama but they can also uh i think uh specify with some uh some creativity, like what that slug says. Some some of them are things like, I don't know, online slice of life, that kind of thing. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, I I, I don't I don't want to force the authors to put their games into boxes any more than they already are. But it would definitely be nice to to you know find the the puzzle experiences if you're know what you're looking for that sort of thing. Yeah, I think you know this was their first run at these more granular filters, and I imagine that they'll dig it even more and 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 hopefully make them even more specific as we go along. But even this was a huge improvement. I'm very excited about yeah, it. Yeah, hu- huge improvement. And, and, you know, necessary given that, like, last year the comp was so astonishingly large. Um, you know, seeing seeing the – even from uh, – even down to 70-some-odd uh, entries is uh, – you know, I – I love to see the comp grow, but also as someone who uh, tries to play a bunch of these and, and cover them for the show, it's a little bit of a relief. <laughs> yeah, to see a, a more uh, a more focused comp. Uh, I don't I don't know if I would like that to be a continuing trend line, but I I did sort of feel like we hit some kind of limit when the comp was above a hundred. Well, there are apparently people out there who they make it a goal to play every single IF comp game, and I'm sure they are. Even more thankful than we were that this was a, a tighter number of entries. Um, yeah, go with God if you're playing all <laughs> of the games in the comp every year. Uh, Nate, I think you have the next game on our list. I do. So I set my filters to choice-based because, uh, you know, for whatever reason, I'm just not a huge parser game fan. I've Every year I play a couple and I just never... They don't click with me, and so I thought at least for this first series of games, I'd really stick with things that kind of fit what I know that I like. So uh, the first game that I played this time, the game called The Golden Heist, and if I may steal a meme from the internet, I'm a simple man. I see heist games in the IFCOMP. I'm going to play them. I feel like I do a heist game or two every single year. I think IFCOMP is a great format for heist games. Uh, And this one had a particularly interesting setting. Uh, It takes place during the reign of Nero. uh, And it is a, it is semi-historical adventure. That's the little slug that, uh, you know, what you were just talking about. That's, that's uh, what it, what they put here. Uh, It is roughly one hour long, which I found to be true. It took me about one hour to play. And uh, the uh, it's it's created by George Lockett and Rob Thorman, and I really really enjoyed this game. So um, you play as a uh, 
as a person who's really down on their luck and their father helped Nero build his uh, what's called the golden house, just an exorbitant, extravagant waste of money, uh, creating a massive palace that's like all out, made out of gold and just a, a, a um, you know, a, a tribute to his wealth and all these things, just completely obscene use of money. And the guy's dad helped him build it. So he was the architect. And then Nero, after the the dad got sick, Nero basically booted him out and he died like a poor man, even though he was like the brains behind building this palace. And so he had all the blueprints. He passed him down to his son. And now his son, in an attempt to seek revenge and uh, get his life back together and and avenge the, the his father, he's going to rob Nero uh, and steal his riches out from under him at a party. And so this has all the trappings of a, of a good heist. You have to pick your crew. You have a, a range of options on who's going to be your crew. Then you pick your approach. You have a range of approaches. And then all throughout, things are going wrong, and you have choices to make that will determine how you handle when these things are going wrong or when they're going well. Not a lot of puzzles. There is one sort of set piece puzzle that you have to do, but there's plenty of things to sort of guide you along if you don't really want to completely engage in the puzzle. Um, But overall, it's really well written. It's really fun. I really appreciated the, uh, the like commitment to the historical element of it. I didn't go and research all of this, but it certainly read as something that would have existed and was true. Uh, and there's a whole end piece about like Nero and, and uh, where he goes and what he does and, you know, what happens to him. And uh, I'll just say that the, the arc of the story is not what I expected. I, uh, I recommend playing it. It's it's interesting and it takes some twists and turns that I did not anticipate and I really really enjoyed it. Uh it has backing music that was nice and overall nice. just was a good clean I have cop experience. I I really liked it and I and I definitely recommend it. I really like ancient Rome as the setting for this kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to give this one a try. I'm kind of like a nerd for that stuff. Yeah. Um, love to read a ancient Roman, like historical fiction type of thing. Now so. I will say the language of the characters talking to each other is not, it's not like, it's not in Latin. It's yeah, well, yeah, and it's not. <laughs> you know, there's there's some mod, you know, like at one point the guys is like, I'm really peeved about this or something like that, and I was like, I don't think they would have said peeved <laughs> in ancient Rome, but you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but like the 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 setting, the the um, the way everything is outlined, the the path, everything's very well descriptive and just is really nice. So yeah, if you're into this sort of thing, I, I recommend it, and it's a uh, you know, it's fun to rob an emperor. Um, Absolutely, this sounds awesome. I don't, I don't know these two authors, and I haven't, haven't taken the minute to look them up. So, um, I, I'm going to take a second and do a quick IFDB search to see if these folks have written anything else that I uh, might be familiar with. I really would love it if the authors 
in the IF comp would they have a link option where you can have a link to see their Twitter or uh, click to email them. I, and I really wonder why they don't have a link to their IM, IFDB. Uh, for yeah. those of you who haven't really used IFDB.org before, it's just the uh, online database of interactive fiction, but you can actually host your game there. So, you know, IF tends to be pretty small in terms of file size and um, IFDB also has the ability to kind of rate and review games. It's a huge resource. Um, you can you can even find reviewers on there. I have a few reviewers that I tend to trust on IFDB. Um, so you can you can see what their reviews are of games and whether or not you might like it. It's a really really positive element of the uh, overall IFC. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And from a cursory cursory look, I don't see anything by George Lockett or Rob Thorman on uh, on IFDB that. You know, I might be missing something because well, sometimes the search for individuals if, is tricky. So if this is a, a debut outing from this pair, um, awesome. And uh, thank you for the recommendation, Nate, because yeah. it sounds super up my alley. You know, and one thing I – if I didn't make it clear, if you can't tell from sort of the description, it, it this is game – this game is funny. It is – it's a – I think it's a comedy first. So it's it's kind of absurd and it's pretty silly. Um, I mean, you're robbing Nero on his birthday. Like, you know, it is not a like, it's not heavy, even though I think it does a great job of setting the tone and setting the, the place. Like it is a comedy first. So um, I, I uh, if that sounds fun for you. Like you'll get the tone and the setting and everything within the first like 10 minutes. And then I was hooked. And so I played all the way through it straight in one sitting and uh, really enjoyed it. And you can save and load. And so if you make choices and, uh, that don't go the way that you would like it to go. You can go back or you can like, there are a couple big decision points that are interesting to kind of go back and play through. So, uh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, Shane, I think you have an next, uh, have our next game. Yeah. I, I think the next one I want to talk about is called the daughter. The daughter is from an author who, and I did go to, to IFDB and try and track down, see if this writer had any previous work that I might've seen, uh, but no, the da- I think Giovanni Rubino, I think, is writing his first piece of IF here, which is very cool. Let me pull up the blurb about this one, because one critique that I do have of this game is that if you don't read the blurb, I think you might have a you might have not have a great shot at fully getting what's going on in the story. Um, the blurb is who killed the first child born in millennia? Another really good uh, tagline, I think. Far in the future, everybody is queer, immortal, and childless, and looks like hot 30-year-old. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> uh, but it continues here, like, the first daughter being born in thousands of years is found killed in mysterious circumstances. Angra is asked to investigate, and uh, the player character there being Angra. Um, it, I like utopian sci-fi a lot, and I think... Queer utopian sci-fi is a is a, a ship that I would like to board. Thank you very much. Um, I have a few kind of criticisms of it, but what I, what I would say before I set up and talk about all the games I did this this week, I like this new filter being able to filter by duration so much that I have set it as a personal goal to uh, start with the shortest games in the comp this year and kind of work my way up. 
And it is a very interesting. <sighs> it's a very on on brand move for the podcast too. It is a bit yeah. for the podcast. <laughs> um, maybe I can I can nominate the like uh, best shortest game or something like that. But the um, the the fifteen minute long category has six games in it so it's a very very achievable goal for me um <laughs> the um the of these of these 15 minute long games i would say that this one it's close but of the ones i've played so far this one is so far my favorite even though i think it's very flawed in fact every single game i have played in this 15 minute long bracket um has some flaws um the thing that I will say about the daughter is that it is it is kind of um, it's very amusingly written. It has plays out kind of like a uh, a mystery, um, and it does leave things uh, sort of open ended. I won't spoil the story here, uh, but a lot of what it says there in the blurb, uh, you know, if that intrigues you, you might find this interesting to read. I do think it kind of has some misses in terms of tone. So there are some things that I I found the world of the game very interesting. Um, This game does that. uh, I'm just going to call it kind of a trick that IF, lots of IF is leaning into these days. It's, it is a, when it is done, I think for the right reasons, it is, it is done excellently um, as a way of player expression. The idea that you get to choose all of your, you know, pronouns and ways of being referred to um this game has by far the longest list which i think that i've ever seen of possible pronouns many of which i have never seen before in writing anywhere um which i think says something up front about the kind of world that this game is trying to present um uh, but this is also you're not kind of creating your own character and self-expressing this is a character whose name is uh, right there in the in kind of box copy, so to speak. So that's kind of that's kind of interesting. Um, but t- I, so I think it's doing more heavy lifting in terms of the world building with that decision. Um, at, the game is pretty well implemented. It has kind of uh, somewhat. Um, it, it's I think written in ink, so it has some kind of loop back and some some ways of going back through different uh, scenarios. I actually played this game through beginning to end twice. And here is probably what I think is my biggest issue with the game. Um, The reason I played it through twice is that the game ends completely without any indication that it is the end. In fact, it's completely unceremonious. This to me seemed like a... um, So it's, it's basically a mystery, right? And you do, I think, learn the reason for the the death of this first daughter born in well, here they say in this uh you know Bagirantha often referred to as the daughter the first human being born after 2478 years 8 months and 16 days of childless society um it says daughter of the late Lilith and unknown her mother died in childbirth. She has been living happily in Modane for the past 16 years, educated by the community. Um, and so you have this uh, this young woman who, at the beginning of the story, kind of is lying dead. 
and uh, it's not a co- completely immortal society. People do die, uh, but not generally of natural causes. And uh, you you see some of their medicine and things like that, and they just simply have found her too late to revive her. And um, so it is. There's you learn a bit about her and about this town, and you know what are what are the pressures that she was living under in a society that is uh, made almost entirely out of people two thousand years her elder. So. Um, very interesting. Yeah, that's a really interesting premise. Like a really cool sci-fi premise. Yeah, I, I agree. I really like it. Kind of in some ways reminded me of like Children of Men, but like also a very different world. Um, the the ending I think could do a little bit better at hanging a lantern on like, well, hey, I because the second time I played it, the first time I played it, I literally thought I had hit a bug. I was like, okay, well, I'm I I've, I'm on the case. I'm ready to solve this mystery. And then it's like you go to your room in the inn and it's like, that's it. There's no the end text or anything. And I was like, well, okay, let me go back. Clearly, there's like a bugged choice here. So I go back and I played through it a second time. And when I did that, I realized, oh, no, it just ends there. It doesn't matter what you choose at the end. That is the end. And that's when I really started to look back at the story and think about it. And that's when I realized, oh, I know why this person is dead and I won't kind of spoil it uh, for you, but the, the answer was there uh, much earlier in the story and I had not connected the dots uh, until going through it a second time. Yeah. So that, that was kind of interesting to me. Um, yeah. So I, I think there are, there are some flaws to it so far. It is my favorite of the ones that I have played. That's awesome. I want to check that out. And, uh, you know, 15 yeah. minutes is a, it's a good, good reason <laughs> to give it a shot. Uh, that sounds so, uh, sounds very interesting. There are some tonal issues. I will throw out one thing that <laughs> fell flat for me. Uh, they they liked. I love it when sci fi things tend to try to imply things that happened in the in the past. Uh, he 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 makes reference to uh, the great hipster purge, and I take offense at that. <laughs> <laughs> oh lord. Uh, okay, so uh, the next game on our list uh, is one that I played. Also uh, does a lot of very strange world building, and that is A Papal Summons or The Church Cat by Bitter Corella. Um, Bitter Corella is a is a, a known name in IF, or at least to me. Um, uh, the thing that springs to mind most for me was that I, they were pretty highly placed in IF Comp a couple of years ago with a game called Poppet that was like a good puzzle game about a living doll uh, that I remember being really good. Um, but they're quite prolific. So this game is a choice-based uh, journey into madness is the best I can do. Um, and it's also uh, continuing the long tradition of IF comp games uh, uh, that are very unkind to cats. Oh, no. It's not another Targheim. No, tag tag or whatever. However you pronounce that. Yeah, Tagherm. Uh, no, it's not quite. Well, actually, it's not not that. You don't have to do the cat burning <laughs> yourself. <laughs> but I'm not going to say that Listeners no were- cats get burned alive in this game. Oh God. I don't want to spoil anything. What is um, it? With, what What is wrong with you, interactive fiction community? What is? Um, so uh, this is, but it has a great setup. Um, so the game takes place in. I don't want to sound like I'm. Uh, uh, 
I, I really don't want to use the words like dark twisted too many times in this description because <laughs> it, it's just it's not going to serve me well. But um, uh, but this is a uh, it takes place in a sort of alternate and clearly more uh, dark and twisted version of the Vatican. And you are playing as like a provincial uh, uh, priest who has been summoned by the Pope. Uh, to Rome for a personal audi- uh, audience, and you discover in the f- first few minutes of the game uh, that it is because in your distant province where you, uh, you know, serve your flock, uh, a cat was found that it is a prodigy, meaning that it is, you know, it is a, a talking cat and it speaks only in Bible verses, proof of God's word and his power and so the 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 uh the pope has summoned you on a like extremely long like months long journey to bring this cat this bible quoting cat uh to rome to uh to show directly to the pope himself but the the story the writing here is the star it is really 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 well written um the descriptions just give this impression of like a demented evil vatican full of bloated like a truly sick society of of you know evil priests basically um the content warning list on this is quite long i'm gonna read it just to give you an idea of the kinds of things you will be facing here content warnings body horror medical horror prostitution child murder violence sexual violence pedophilia anti-semitism islamophobia transphobia racism animal cruelty torture dead bodies body parts and mutilation cool i saw pretty much all fun. of that cool cool and uh, fun yeah I mean, I mean, it is actually like this was a fun read. Uh, it's dark, it's gross, but it's twisted. It's, uh, it's I mean, yeah. this he, the um, he says right in the description. Uh, this is a grotesque camp horror story inspired by the works of Franz Kafka and uh, Kobo Abe. Um, it contains content that is not appropriate for minor or sensitive players. So um, yes, I co-sign that it is not appropriate for minors, uh, but it is also uh, the calling it camp is right on the money. Uh, it's the kind of thing where like, yes, you're, you're in a, uh, a, a, a disgusting and twisted world of, uh, of, of just evil nonsense. Um, but it's, it, it, it is, it is very campy. It's, it's very over the top. Um, I had a few laughs, uh, playing it, um, and you know when it warns you that there's things like child murder, it's not in there to shock you exactly. It's more just that this is it's all part of it's like walking through a grotesque haunted house um in a way you know the Vatican here is uh is an enormous like immeasurable complex full of floor after floor descending through darkness through you know through uh kafka-esque bureaucracy uh one of the funniest bits in this is you know you show up with your papal summons and you're being shunted around from bureaucrat to bureaucrat trying to to find the right person to uh to tell you how to how to get to your appointed audience with the the holy father himself and 
one bureaucrat shunts you off to another bureaucrat, shunts you off to another bureaucrat, shunts you off to a literal skeleton in a uh, uh, in a disused office. Um, you know, nice. The, the person you're meant to speak to clearly died on the job and no one thought to check on them. And uh, they're sitting there holding a bunch of correspondence that is left unanswered and that kind of thing. And it's uh, it's a good read. Um, I, I think if I had any um, uh, any uh, issues with it, I think it it has what I think is a pretty strong ending. But with something this um, clearly like conceptually strong and like really well written i kind of was expecting i um, i I guess i didn't i didn't quite get exactly what they were trying to say you know if there was a if there was like a strong theme here of like like you know here's your message here's here's why you suffered through this intense uh intense experience wandering through this nightmare um I was a little, I was, I came out the other side, uh, glad I've had the experience, but still a little baffled as to exactly if it was trying to tell me something important, but, um, that's not to say that I didn't have a lot of fun with it. It's a, it's a really, um, uh, I think it's a really well done story. Um, uh, it's choice based, but pretty it's, it's twine. It's very, uh, it's just sort of hypertext fiction. There's not a lot of deep choosing to going on here. You can make some occasional choices about like which door to try. And I'm sure that you'd end up seeing different instances of child murder, depending on choosing joy, door a or door B, et cetera. Um, but I, I, I recommend this one a lot. Actually. I, I think it's a really well-written thing. Um, bitter Corella is a great writer and, um, uh, I, you know, I, they've, they've a, a long history of good stuff. This is more of it. Um, so check this out. I'm going to talk about a game called Cyberpunk Arena, which, uh, oh, nope, I'm sorry, Cyborg Arena. I've made, <laughs> I made that mistake. You made that mistake before we recorded. <laughs> and you were like, I want to get this right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, t- to be fair, uh, it's basically still right. I mean, even in the uh, in the description, you it, it outlines that you will be picking a ridiculous cyberpunk weapon. So uh, it is a cyberpunk universe, uh, but the game is called Cyborg Arena. It was created by someone named John Aliff. They actually do have games in previous years. They uh, got 19th place in the 2017 uh, uh, competition with a game called Rage Quest Disciple of Peace. I don't know. I don't remember playing that. But, I don't remember um, playing that. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, they have contributed before. They also look like they have uh, contributed games to XYZZY. And they've also, uh, going deeper into their website, looks like they've written a few D&D adventure books that are available. Nice. Uh, online, so I'm, I might pick a couple of those up. So uh, anyway, this game, um, you know, is a pretty compelling title. I, I like these sort of goofy games that can that can uh, you can play in um, IF Comp. It's a choice based game. It's kind of exactly what it sounds like, but there's really two main things I want to talk about. One, uh, oh, 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 this is um, wrote. Uh, they will not return. I remember liking that one a lot in 2018. Sorry, oh, I cool. just, it, uh, that name sounded familiar to me. So I was clicking around. Yeah, yeah they. Um, I. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, that was useless interruption. Well, <laughs> not that useless, but hey, whatever. <laughs> Sorry if to interrupt me. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, so 
as it sounds, this is a combat-based game. Uh, you are a cyborg who's been forced into um, arena combat, uh, basically like gladiator games. Um, no one ever really dies in them, but they are for the entertainment of the non-cyborg uh, people of the planet, which I'll talk about in a moment. But uh, you get some choices. You know, are you going to be a sort of a bruiser? Or are you going to be fast? Or are you going to be a hybrid? There's actually a stat block on the screen that tracks things like power, speed, and defense. And then when you're in fights, you are set up with a series of moves to make. And you know what your opponent is about to do. And besides not dying, you are also trying to appease the crowd. Uh, They want to see moves that have never happened before, at least not have happened in this fight. So if your opponent is coming at you with a fast attack and you block it, the next time they come at you with a fast attack, the game incentivizes you to do something like a, a heavy attack or counter with your own fast attack. It wants to see different combinations. Um, And there's actually a little tracker you can click on and see what combinations have I done uh, and have I not done. So it's pretty easy. They they put it on a platter for you to really appease the crowd and, and the crowd wants you to do this and the game kind of incentivizes it. And overall, I found the, this sort of combat system fun, simple, this total, the game totally takes 30 minutes at the most. I think you could probably get in multiple playthroughs uh, through in 30 minutes, especially once you kind of know how the system works. Uh, But it was fun and simple. Um, But the other thing I wanted to talk about is that, um, and I know we run into this every year. I think, Shane, you're going to talk about it a little bit too. But uh, this is a game that uh, sort of wears its politics on its sleeve. Um, and I think that's great. I think IF Comp does a great job of promoting that. And I like to, to read those sorts of things. So instead of trying to explain it when possible, I like to try to just read directly from the, the game to give you an idea of the sense of writing. This, this is a little long, but I think you'll see why I included it. And this isn't really spoilery. It's, it's very, very early on. All right. A few years earlier, the Biological Personhood Act had declared that anyone with more than a certain amount of cybernetic enhancements was legally a thing rather than a person. That threshold was, of course, set so that the kind of subtle augmentations that CEOs and politicians had, brain interface, PDAs, alertness drug injections, and the like, would fall below it. But the kind of augmentations that working class people took on in order to get better jobs would be above it. It was justified by contrived horror stories about implants turning people into zombies or about people grafting bits of human brains onto toasters and claiming they were people in order to get free benefits, none of which had ever happened, but which captured the conservative imagination more easily than the real people whose rights were being stripped away. Religious conservatives loved it because cyborgs were the minority they hated at the moment, Economic conservatives loved it because in one instant, their most valuable employees had become their property. So you get an idea of the setting of this game and how, uh, you know, sort of the underlying tone and that becomes even. Sounds cool. Yeah, it comes comes around even more as the game goes on. So uh, not necessarily my favorite game that I've played, Um, you know, is again, it was pretty straightforward. Um, but I, I thought the writing was really strong. A great, I mean, that's all great cyberpunk setup, right? Like that, that is, is, 
you know, feels true and feels like a good sort of dystopian future projection. Um, so I liked it. And, uh, um, you know, if, check it out. And looks like this person has a lot of other work out there, too. That's really awesome. And I'm really inclined to check that out based on uh, I, I don't remember where it placed, but I strongly remember uh, they will not return, which was like really good, like uh, post human robots, you know, story that I um, it's been a, it's been a couple of years. But uh, to be honest, any any game that you remember for three plus years based on playing it out of a, a field of, you know, dozens or yeah. even a hundred games uh that's that's worth something so um yeah that's awesome i'm definitely going to check this one out right on uh i'm going to hit the last couple of games like these are short games and i'll try to uh review these 15 minute long games in less than 15 minutes uh you know, <laughs> no promises that's shane that's that's just against the way we do things at the short game <laughs> yeah that's not how we do things around here uh, so what I, what I'll start with is my take on a game called enveloping darkness. Now, this is a game that has three different listed authors, which I think is the most authors I have ever seen listed on an IF comp game, um, three different collaborators. And as much as reach as I've been able to find, I don't think any of them have previous credits. So this, I'll tell you what this seems like to me. Um, this seems like a uh, young person or a novice who is making their first piece of IF. Um, and I'll say for a few reasons. But the first is that it is firmly in fantasy trope space. And there are some elements of that. that so first off, that is catnip for me. Um, of the 15-minute long games, this is the one that is in the kind of Dungeons and Dragons trope space that I am most excited to start. This was the first one I picked from the list. Um, but it has some really sketchy uh, <coughs> writing, not sketchy. It has some iffy writing to it. Um, ultimately, I came away having had a great time uh, reading through it once, but it's not something I would go back to. Uh, there are some uh, bugs. There are some kind of wacky plot holes, uh, but this, it starts really strong with an orc attack on your village. And uh, I think some of the early choices that you get to make are, are really powerful ones, like uh, you're seeing your family attacked by orcs, and uh, you can choose to uh, aid them or hide and cower in fear, which honestly I think leads to an interesting story. However, some of the choices, and it tends to present you a couple of choices at a time, some of the choices don't make a lot of sense. Like you are going to a king and uh, you are going to ask for help getting, uh, retrieving your brother who's been kidnapped by the orcs. Uh, and one choice is just to uh, kick his guards in the shin for apparently no reason. So that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. But I do want to, I do want to give one passage, uh, which is how my run through of the game concluded. So you should know that this is after, having spent a long time kind of meeting interesting NPCs, gathering resources and getting ready to go on a quest. Um, and uh, then this couple of paragraphs and choice happen kind of apropos of nothing. 
Um, one day you are lounging around looking for something to do, not much going on in the story, when you hear a loud crunch from the north side of the city. You run towards it and you find a golem. It has killed many brave guards already. You must stop this creature of destruction. You walk towards the golem. As you do so, you can see people running away from it. You hear a loud bang. Then you run towards it and you see a golem smashing and running through buildings. You spot the golem about to step on a baby. Oh no. And you're one of your choice points here you can make one of two choices remember this is the only choice you have made in this whole golem scenario you can save the baby or go after the golem which presumably is about to step on the baby what would you guys pick i'm gonna save the baby i'm a dad i saved the baby (laughs) yep you run towards the baby at full speed. When you're about 10 feet away, you do a tuck and roll and grab the baby. Then you toss it on a mattress, safe and sound. But the golem's left foot steps on you. You have died. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, you hit that moral of the story. Don't save the baby. Don't, Don't save, save that baby. baby. Don't save that baby. Uh, so this is, um, it's kind of a, it feels totally gonzo, this thing. It's its absolutely wild. Uh, I had a good time playing it. It feels like these these three people are... It is a little uneven, which I kind of would expect from something that was written by three people. Um, but it was in the kind of fantasy trope space that I enjoy. And wow, what an ending. <laughs> so that was a good one. <laughs> Thanks, guys. The that's the power of 15 minutes is I could I could I can not be too upset when a random choice kills me. <laughs> True. The last one I have to talk about is called Smart Theory. Now, I kind of recognized the name on this one. The, the person who goes by AK Heon, capital A, capital K H E O N, not sure how you'd pronounce that handle, um, has entered into the comp three times. This is their third their third entry. Um, the one I was aware of was from last year called Ascension of Limbs. And that was a pretty interesting kind of kind of mechanically complex sort of Lovecraftian shopkeeper sim almost. It was it was kind of an interesting game. Um, it did pretty well in the comp. That was their best rated title so far. But what I didn't realize is that this is more of a return to form for... Akion, uh, who also wrote 2019's Fat Fair, which I remember only by reputation. Uh, that was um, one of the most unevenly ranked games that I've ever seen uh, in the comp, uh, based primarily on its sense of humor, where uh, it was a basically uh, like making fun of fat people the whole time. Um, I think one thing I remember from from that was that uh, the main character's eyes were so full of cholesterol uh, that they you would have to type in woo uh, to echolocate um, to to navigate around. Uh, and yeah, the, most people, I think, had a reaction to the humor of that game. It was, um, to say the least, crass. Uh, smart theory is kind of going back to the well of kind of edgy humor here. Um, it took me a while getting into this one to realize exactly what was going on. Uh, in Smart Theory, it, the the pitch is kind of a, a new thought system has been spreading through schools and institutions, and it's taken over the university that you attend. What could all this mean? Um, 
and you are kind of basically forced into a mandatory crash course on smart theory. And what this boils down to is it is a comedic take on uh, cancel culture, I think. Um, I, it never goes by by that term specifically, but that's basically what's going on here. Um, you are pulled into kind of a nonsense lecture. And this is, compared to this author's previous work, this is very lightly interactive. I think they've switched from parser to ink choice-based game. Um, that's not a bad thing, uh, but it's not, you have less choice than even in most ink games. You're basically forced to sit here and listen to a lecture, which, I mean, that is exactly what I, I think maybe they want here. They want you to feel like you're being lectured to uh, maybe based on the author's feeling about how uh, call out culture is progressing online. So, so maybe that's, maybe that's kind of what's going on here. Um, that goes into, hold on. I have, I have some quotes from this. Um, personally, I really didn't react well to the content of this. I didn't find it particularly funny. Uh, you know, it's kind of funny, uh, but it was also just kind of like, uh, okay, like, you know, you're, the, the, the point is like, oh, all this doesn't make any sense. And like, okay, I got that. I got that early on. And it, it's, it's things like, well, thank you for participating in this mandatory course on smart theory. I hope it made you think about the influence that smartness plays in our everyday lives. And I especially hope it inspired you to pay $30 for the book I wrote called Dumb Fragility. You know, stuff like that. It's it's kind of uh, kind of a thin, thinly veiled, uh, you know, take on uh, um, like cancel culture and mm-hmm. um, and and like liberalism on campus. And I just I, that wasn't that wasn't it for me. So I'm not I'm not going to recommend this one. This one gets uh, this one gets a score. But, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe our listeners are just aching for this kind of thing. I uh, yeah I don't think so. Um, I, how dare you try to cancel this game about cancel culture, Shane? How dare you? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not canceling it. I I I I think what what I will say is this author is capable of a lot better than this because even the kind of sounds like fat phobic first work of theirs uh, was very well received mechanically. Like it had apparently a lot of interesting uh, secrets and and things like that in there, and and you know was well programmed. Uh, but that was about the best thing that I heard people saying about that one. So I don't know. Uh, AK Heon, um, maybe I didn't get it. Reach out. Love to hear from you. But uh, yeah, this one, this one won it. All right. Um, next one on my list is a recommendation from me. Um, and it's from a returning author. Do you guys remember last year, um, the game, uh, El- oh, I'm going to mispronounce it. Eleusinian Miser- Miseries or whatever it was called. It was the, so Mike Russo, uh, that was his first game in the comp. From what I understand, he's a prolific reviewer and sort of fixture in the scene of interactive fiction. But uh, last year's comp, his game was the first game he's ever released. And this is his second. Um, that game was a very funny uh, Roman farce, basically, um, with uh, puzzles. You know, it was a like a comedic puzzle parser type of thing. Uh, this is a real turn from that. Sting is a uh, almost, or I think pretty much completely puzzle-free parser-based uh, uh, memoir 
Uh, and uh, it's pseudo autobiographical from what I understand. So um, this is a game about uh, sort of telling the main character, I think, I think Mike, uh, his sort of life story and his relationship to his uh, twin sister. Uh, from what I understand, this is based in real events, but with some of the details and names changed. Um, uh, and telling that story via a series of bee stings that he has had over his lifetime, which is a really fun or at least clever uh, sort of framing device. It's, you know, it drops you into scenes set at intervals throughout this person's life, each of which centers around a time he got stung by a bee. So the very first one is he's three. He's out in the backyard playing with his sister and gets stung by a bee, right? Um, but they those stories continue through their, you know, through uh, the young childhood and college and young adulthood and into his later married life. Um, it's really, it's really heartfelt. Um, it's really like I am, uh, I am susceptible to this story because it is the story about loss of a twin, uh, which is a uh, something that you know I you, know, you someday you dream of. <laughs> <laughs> good, good God, <laughs> I don't even know what to say, Shane. I love you, man. Um, Reagan, I will never die. <laughs> I will become Thank one God. of those two thousand year old queers <laughs> in, the, uh, in that game. Sweet, me too. I hope. Um, so yeah, this is really, really well done, puzzle free uh, sort of story parser stuff. One of the challenges with this kind of thing, you know, I've read, I've done done a lot of games where somebody has tried to turn the the tools of parser based interactive fiction towards a puzzle free experience where they're just sort of trying to tell you a story, you know, maybe their own story or sort of, you know, the, the non-standard uh, uses of this kind of thing, the kind of thing you probably more expect to see done in something, uh, you know, like uh, Twine, right? You know, you, if you are expecting to to just get a series of anecdote slash events uh, that kind of add up to the story of a life, um, you know, I, I would have expected Mike Russo to choose something like Twine to tell that story. And the challenge is if you are applying something like a parser uh, tool to that, then you know what are you, what are you asking the player to do, and is it interesting? Um, because with a you know with a uh, with a parser game, you know if you if you drop somebody into this scene where you're you know you know you're going to get stung by a bee, but you're also just needing to interact with your sister and see some of that relationship as it's progressed. Like, do I need to navigate a bunch of rooms? Am I going to get lost? What am I trying to do in this scene? Is it going to get repetitive? I've played games for the comp, for example, where you're just sort of hanging out at a party and like, uh, you know, that works fine in a sense, but like eventually, you know, you, the, the, the wheels start to fall off of that kind of thing a little bit because it's not really designed to play well in a parser. Like parsers are great at like go north, get lamp, solve puzzle. Here, he's done some really clever stuff to really, it really, really works. Um, a couple of examples, um, like that first, that first example, like you're, you're a child, you're like three or something. And, and really all you're trying to do in the beginning is play with your sister. Uh, and, uh, the sort of thing you're doing is it just gives you, uh, an opportunity to type as many ways you can think of to play 
as a child into the parser and it understands most of them. And it's optional. Like you can just, if you want, sit there and type in like play with Liz. I think her name was Liz. I hope I got that name right. Um, like you can just type that again and again if you want and and just get most of the text. But like the game sort of subtly encourages you to experiment with that or, uh, and, you know, try things like play hopscotch with Liz and it will tell you, oh, you know, you don't have, you don't have any chalk, but like you can try a bunch of different ways of t- typing in play with your sister. And, uh, and that scene will continue to progress and you learn a little bit about your, their relationship. The next one, a little bit later when they're in their teens, um, maybe not the most relatable, uh, but also I thought one of the most interesting uses of parser here, uh, was your participating in a sailing race. Uh, where you and your sister are piloting a small sailboat in some kind of race. And, uh, you know, you can talk to your sister and mostly you just do that by typing in talk to Liz and, and, you know, you'll get some more, more dialogue to, you know, hear how these, these two siblings are relating to each other. Um, but it also optionally, uh, asks, gives you a huge space of, uh, of, nautical verbs like you know it 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 kind of clues you into what a bunch of the things that you're going to need to be doing while you're doing this sailing race and you know occasionally liz will say something like uh you know i'm gonna get these wrong because i don't ever remember these sort of sailing terminology but like you know uh raise that halyard or stow that jib or whatever and all of that is you don't fucking stow the jib you moron you absolute (laughs) imbecile you landlubber wow like well that that was the thing is like i i uh, because i uh had a poor understanding of that stuff i screwed up like i'm pretty sure you can do that race perfectly i don't know if you can win it but i think you can at least come in better than dead last uh which is what i did um but like uh it was really neat that like this, it is optional. You can literally just sit there on the boat and say like, wait, wait, wait. And you know, your, your sister is, is piloting the boat and she'll probably yell at you for not doing something right. You don't have to do all the stuff, but like you can, if you want, like, and, and it gives you these sorts of things, like little ways to engage with the parser and each scene is different. And that's what I thought was really clever about this was it's each, each anecdote is at a different period of life. And gives you slightly different ways of using the parser to interact, um, and uh, you know it's it's sweet, it's funny, it's sad, um, it's you know what you want out of a, you know a memoir a, a, about a deceased loved one, and um, you know I don't know exactly how much of this is like pulled from real life or what have you, but like it was it was really well written. Um, I think Mike Russo is on a roll. Um, I, I think this is going to probably do pretty well in the comp. Um, or at least I liked it a lot. That's showing some range too, because yeah, there his first one was kind of like ancient Rome meets PG Wodehouse kind of vibes, and yeah, and it really doesn't sound like this is that. Nope, <laughs> not not at all, not at all. Um, but it's it's uh, it was full of stuff that I like related to hard, um, and just uh, I you know I loved it. So um, highly recommend Sting by Mike Russo. Awesome. Um, well, continuing on our trend of people who have contributed uh, to previous years and had some success, uh, the last game I'm going to talk about today is a game called My Gender is a Fish by Carter Gwertzman. Now, Carter actually placed 11th in last year's comp uh, with their game Flattened London. 
Now, I did not play this game, but I'm pretty certain Laura did because it yeah, was. Yeah, I remember because she was, uh, she's a big uh, Fallen London yeah, fan. Yeah, it, it's sort of a uh, a blending of Fallen London with uh, Flatland. And I, I don't really know more beyond that, but if that sounds appealing to you, it that was a well-ranked game. I mean, last year, yeah, you know. 11th oh, place is great out of like I got 103 that, entries. That's exactly what oh, I was going to say. So. Here. Um, very well regarded. This game, something very, very different. Um, first of all, like Shane, I filtered by 15 minutes. So Shane, if you are going to do your short game completionist, you will be playing this game as well. Um, it had a very compelling blurb. I'll just go ahead and read it. Magpies from the Forbidden Woods like to steal things. Coins, jewelry, your gender identity. It's starting to get dark, so you'd better find your gender fast. If only you could remember what it looked like. So this game is going to be a little hard to explain. I kind of just recommend playing it if this sounds compelling. But what it sounds like is exactly what you're doing. uh, This is choice-based. It is entwined. And you as a character have had your gender stolen. Um, Really even like your concept of gender has been stolen. And you are going through the woods trying to find your gender. And it is... Some sort of blend of like magical realism with that abstractionism and I think ultimately trying to use very different and unique language for defining what someone's gender may be. Um, So I'll give you an example. Uh, Observe the eagle flying forever. If it stops even for a moment, it will never be an eagle again. Watch the fish's easy movements, the way the river supports it. One of these is your gender, but which? And you go through a series of things like that, really abstract descriptions of real physical things you might see in a woods that are leading you to refinding your gender. I'm not educated enough in this field to begin with to understand entirely what this game is trying to say or do, but I will say that it was very nice and I enjoyed it and it was very, very quick. Um, So if this sounds interesting to you, give it a play. It's almost like a interactive poem more than a, um, a direct like narrative. Um, And I thought it was nice. Yeah. And sometimes that sort of usage of, you know, like the, the hypertext poems or twine poems or what have you, like I, that's sometimes some of the most um, interesting stuff, especially if they are in that like 15 minute area. Yeah. So this is evocative. I, I, I love it. It was nice. You know? Yeah. I want to give this one a shot. It's wild to me that you can go into IF comp and say, okay, I have 15 minutes to kill. I'm just going to click the first thing that comes up and you literally don't know whether it's going to be a lock and key puzzle, a poem, or if you're going to die trying to save a baby from a golem. Yeah. (laughs) And it could be any of those things until you click. And that's part of the fun for me. Yeah. I mean, I did, I did three different games chosen mostly at random and, Robbed a robbed uh, Emperor Nero, uh, participated in a cyborg arena, and had a nice think piece on the concept of gender. <laughs> it's very, very good range. Very nice. 
Well, um, I think it's pretty much it. There's there's a, a couple last things I wanted to mention. Like this is a looks like a year for some of the longer stuff. Uh, one of the games that has me most intrigued uh, was one that I put almost an hour into and don't feel like I've gotten even far enough to talk about yet. That's uh, four by four archipelago. Uh, which, you know, not only has the honor of being, if you're alphabetizing the first game on the list, um, but uh, looks to be maybe one of the longest, but also I've heard some rumblings really good. I um, I played about an hour and just had long enough to kind of get a sense of it. It's a very expansive RPG done in Twine uh, that has like amazing depth for a Twine game. Uh, I don't want to say much more about it. I'm going to try and play a little more uh, so that I can talk about it on an upcoming episode, uh, maybe next one. Um, but that is really, uh, really interesting. And there's a, a couple of other games in this comp that just really are surprising me by their format. Like I, um, I saw that there's a game in this comp that's played entirely via Facebook Messenger. Uh, there's a comp game this year that is a Hearthstone style card game. I saw that it's called the vault and I almost picked it up, uh, for this episode, but I, it, I, I haven't played that one yet, yeah. but Nate, I, I, uh, I read that game actually features, uh, in-app purchases. Yeah. That's uh, wild. Which I, I <laughs> didn't realize was okay with the comp, but apparently <laughs> is as long as you can complete the game without them. Um, there's a lot of that kind of like experimentation going on in interactive fiction right now, just people trying new new formats and that kind of thing. That's very exciting to me. So I'm really looking forward to trying more stuff in this year's comp. I can't wait. Um, listeners, this is where we really need you. We mentioned this at the top, but just again, you know, if you are playing stuff for the comp and you play something that you think is interesting, um, or honestly, even if you play something and you think it's like really not interesting and you want to spare us the trouble and you want to explain why, um, that's all the kind of information that we love to get. We love that kind of feedback. So if you want to let us know what you're playing or even just talk about what you're playing with other people, the best way to do that is to join our Discord. Our Discord is for patrons of the show. You can patronize us for even just a dollar a month. Uh, and IF Comp Season is a great time to do that. Uh, if you do that on Patreon, you immediately get access to uh, our Discord, which of course includes our IF Comp channel, which is where we're talking about things as we're playing them. Uh, you can also, of course, let us know what you're thinking about these games on Twitter at underscore short game, or you can go to our website, www.theshortgame.net, and there's a contact form there. Or if you prefer, you can email us uh, info at theshortgame.net. So all of those ways are great ways to let us know what you are thinking about the games of the comp this year. Um, we're going to be coming back with more coverage of IF Comp soon. Our typical approach is to kind of go every other week. Um, uh, so we're going to see exactly how that works out towards the uh, the end of the comp period. Um, but next week, we're going to be covering something else and we'll be returning uh, to more IF Comp soon. Uh, so uh, by that point, Laura will be back and we'll be uh, able... Laura's on her uh, on her European trip right now. She's in, in uh, London, I believe. So uh, hi, Laura, if you're out there and uh, we miss you. Uh, she should be back to cover IF Comp with us. Uh, before the close of the comp. And uh, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. Uh, I'm Reagan Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. Shane, where can people find you? On Twitter at 8BitShane. And Nate, where can people find you? On Twitter at NateSTL. And listeners, thanks once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.